Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis and whew, what an offseason it's been all around the country in college basketball, right? The biggest news, of course, was the stunning retirement of Jay Wright at Villanova. I mean, no one saw that one coming. The guy's just 60 years old, on top of the game, arguably the best coach in college basketball currently. You could put him up there with Coach K, and they're both out of the picture now. One, we knew he was retiring, and the other, no one saw it coming. I think it caught everyone by surprise. And then here in the tri-state, of course, we've just seen a carousel of coaching changes that began with Kevin Willard leaving Seton Hall for Maryland, and then the dominoes began to fall. Shaheen Holloway took over for Willard and eventually Bashir Mason went to St. Peter's from Wagner replacing Holloway, quickly followed by Donald Copeland replacing Mason at Wagner. And now this week, another opening, Greg Horenda fired by FDU after nine seasons, two NCAA tournament appearances. So that's four coaching changes in the tri-state alone in the past month. When was the last time we saw that? And that's just the tip of the iceberg in college basketball news in the tri-state area. Here to talk about the coaching moves, the portal moves, who's coming, who's going, where are they possibly going, is my good friend Jerry Carino from Gannett News and Asbury Park Press, the dean of college basketball beat writers in New Jersey. Jerry, are you sleeping these days? Ah, uh, sleeping. What is sleeping? You know, I don't mind staying up all night and, and burning the candle at both ends when we're covering the season, great stuff, like tournament time and St. Peter's making their run. But, like, this month after the season ends, I got to tell you, it stinks. I mean, there is so many people coming and going. It's impossible to keep track of. You use a core card to follow it. And it's not, it's not fun, but... You know, this is life. And so, yeah, to answer your question, no, nah, it's hard because stuff's happening early in the morning, all afternoon, late at night. Who's coming? Who's going? I don't know anymore, man. I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen tonight. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All I can tell you is it's like it's like riding a wave and then you might get dumped on your face into the sand. And, you know, a couple teams and are, have, are getting their face dumped in the sand. That's what's happening right now. And some yeah. sports writers, too. <laughs> Jerry, uh, let me pour some water over your face so you can get that sand off and I'll get you a towel at the same time. You're, you're right. And the coaches are going through it. Uh, they don't know who's coming or going. They've become GMs. Um, listen, I, I feel for everybody. Is there a winner in all of this, Jerry? So I don't know. Like a lot of people have pronounced judgment on, you know, the transfer portal, uh, the NIL. And I prefer to take the long view and let's see how it shakes out over a period of time, but what I will tell you is it just doesn't, it doesn't feel natural um, that there's so much change and movement. It just doesn't, you know, you wonder like, are people going to left get stuck without a chair at the end of the musical chairs? Are, are people not going to graduate because their credits aren't going to transfer? Are fans going to lose interest because they have no connection to these players and coaches coming and going like mercenaries? So it does, it does do, I think it does diminish the joy of the sport a little bit, that there's so much free agency, so to speak. I know there are benefits to that, and it's bad to have no freedom at all, of course. But it just doesn't feel good. I just got to tell you, it just doesn't feel good or feel right. 
And but I gotta take the long view and see how it shakes out eventually. Will it stabilize? You know, will it find its level? But it just feels unnatural what's going on in the sport right now, the churn and the turnover. Uh listen, you and I grew up in different times when you know, Patrick Ewing stayed at Georgetown for four years and, and, you know, even Michael Jordan stayed at North Carolina for three years and, and, and so forth. Right. But those days are long gone. We know that. And I'm all for the college players, you know, getting a piece of this multi-billion dollar industry, but you're right for the fans. I mean, the roster turnover from one year to the next is uh lunacy, right? I mean, even a school like St. Peter's Jerry close to home, uh, had they had everyone back, even with a new head coach, they would have likely been the favorites to repeat in the Mac along with uh, Iona. And now they've lost seven of their top 10 players. I mean, how do you even yeah. begin to regroup and pick yourself off the mat at a place like St. Peter's? The other problem is, Dino, is that and this maybe is the biggest thing, and I probably should have started with this, is, is people now getting involved in this for the wrong reasons. There's handlers and this middleman who is shopping these kids like pieces of meat. That's always happened to a degree, you know, in the high school to college recruitment. But now it's happening like two and three times over with all the, all the extra movement. So these handlers and these middlemen, people with, who are really just trying to make a buck off these kids, are using them as transactional and, you know, shopping them around. And is it in their best interest to transfer two times? Or is someone... Is some handler getting a cut like a real estate agent or like a broker on a transaction? And that's why they keep shopping them. Like, that's what I'm feeling is going on in some cases here. And, like, I heard a story. I'll tell you the story that there was a coach who uh, an assistant coach approached approached another coach, uh, approached the head coach at one of these things, you know, these big recruiting events, and said, uh, you know, I'd like to come to join your staff and I can bring two transfers with me. And the, the guy, the other the head coach was like, wait a minute, you, you're going to pull two guys out from under your head coach because you want to, like, shop them for a job? Like, this is ridiculous. And that's well, that stuff has happened, has happened to a degree over the years. Now it's on steroids. It's on steroids. And the kids who get shopped around and treated like pieces of meat are losers in a lot of these transactions. So it's worrisome on a lot of levels. And... You know, I, I hear things that just make me cringe, like like people, you know, opening phone calls about, about the transfer portal saying, oh, it's the minimum bid is $30,000 for me to get you to consider your school. And, like, that's just, you know, it's, hey, listen, people should get what they can get, but, like, that's, you know, you're going to go someplace to college. Are you going to graduate? Are you going to get a decent experience? Are you going to like your teammates? You know, you're going to have to live with these people. Like, it's... It, there has to be more to it than just can you get me 30,000 like you this could lead to chemistry disasters when you have a guy making 800,000 because some booster stuffing it in his pocket and then you have a guy making nothing and the guy making nothing outplays the guy making 800,000 and right. deserves his minutes but the booster says that's my property play my property <laughs> like i'm not it's not that far fetched that you can have boosters acting like GMs telling coaches play my property that I've invested $800,000 in. Oh, and that's just, it's a recipe for total dysfunctional disaster. So this, the freedom of movement thing, it's important for change, but I don't know. It's playing out at a rate that I'm not sure is healthy. 
it, Jerry, it sounds like the wild, wild west, right? I mean, there, there's no law and they're making up the rules as they go with gold and and uh, everything else they can get their hands on of minerals, right? The, the NCA messed this up too, because they, you know, Val Ackerman, who's the commissioner of the Big East, was involved in the original NIL committee who said, you know, we have to have guardrails. And then like, like Jay Billis, who has destroyed the game as much as anybody, Jay Billis just was yelling at everybody, there could be no guardrails. So now there's no guardrails. They just kind of gave up and wilted and there's no guardrails. So now we had Congress too, Rick rattling the saber. Congress that can't get anything done for the American people, rattling their saber at college sports. And so, you know, should players, do players deserve a cut of the price? Sure. I mean, should Geo Baker be able to, to you know, pitch, be a pitch man? Sure. Should he be able to, you know, market himself and sign some autographs for money or make an appearance and get paid? Sure. Run a clinic? Sure. Right. Absolutely. You know, when you have collectives of boosters getting together and buying a player for 800000 and then you know, inserting him to a team where the coach now, maybe he doesn't have control of that situation. And that's, that's, there's a lot of problems that could, that could develop from that. Right. And the, the boosters aren't accountable to the school. So it's, it's a potential to be a real big mess. I think you're going to see a lot of chemistry issues and a lot of dysfunction in these, in these teams. Well, and, and unfortunately, you know, we're trying to help the kids and it could go in the opposite direction. Jerry, it just sounds like, uh, something that that is going to get worse before it gets better but it leads to a whole nother discussion and and i guess it's something that we'll leave it at this it's something that we closely have to watch over the next couple of years and and hope that it doesn't take a tailspin into the gutter which uh it certainly could so uh while we're talking about that let's put the coaches on hold and let's talk about these transfers that are out there because the biggest news this week, I guess, in the transfer portal in the tri-state area is Casey Nadefo becoming the seventh St. Peter's player to transfer and the best of the bunch, Jerry. So you're talking about the national defensive player of the year suddenly entering the transfer portal at the end of April and being a very coveted player, maybe for his former coach, who's now at Seton Hall and Shaheen Holloway. Yeah, and he's real good. Uh, St. Peter's, obviously, they probably could have kept that nucleus together if they moved faster. I feel bad for Bashir Mason, who's he got there when everyone had a foot out the door. Casey Nadefo is really good. He's the, he's the best, easily the best St. Peter's player. He's the one who, you know, has really high major, contributed to the high major level, I think, regularly. Daryl Banks would be the second one. He winds up at St. Bonaventure, which is a really good A-10 program. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he was good enough to play high major ball, too, but he found his level in the A-10. But Nadefo's the guy, and I think would be a fantastic fit at Seton Hall. He, he has a great relationship with Shaheen and also with uh, Rashid Davis, who's one of Shah's assistant coaches now, came over from St. Peter's. Uh, the question with Nadefo is, I, don't, I can't see him transferring anywhere else, Dino, but he might turn pro. But he could really help Seton Hall. I mean, he would be instantly become Seton Hall's best front court player. The guy is a good passer, terrific defender, rebounder. Uh, Seton Hall really needs front court toughness, desperately needs it. No doubt. Uh, they, they could use another power forward, certainly a center, and, and, and toughness and rebounding. Uh, he fits and checks all of those categories. Yeah, he's another, not big enough to play center in the Big East, but certainly he could be he – I mean, he's a little bit undersized as a four, but he's tough enough. Right. To, I mean, you saw what he did in the NCAA tournament. He can, he can handle the four, I think. He, he can more than hold his own, no yeah. question, and an excellent passer. Yeah, excellent so, passer. 
So another player uh, from New Jersey who uh, is out there, went to Clemson, Alamir Dawes from the Patrick School. Uh, he's a guy that Seton Hall is seriously considering. Could you see him landing at Seton Hall in the probably, next week? Probably, yeah, probably will. He probably will. Uh, he, he great relationship with Shaheen Holloway coming out of the Patrick School. Probably would have gone to Seton Hall the first time around, but Holloway, who was recruiting him and had was close to getting him on board, Holloway left to take the St. Peter's job in the spring of 2018, and then a couple months later, uh, Dawes committed to Clemson. So I, I, you know, I will be surprised if he does not at Seton Hall. Uh, he's a good player, good defender. Everyone at Clemson can defend, and he hits a shot. You know, he's a 40% three-point shooter. So uh, I, if you get if you get him, you have Jameer Harris and you get Kadari Richmond. That's pretty good backcourt. That's pretty good three guys in your backcourt, and then you know they'll need frontcourt help like we discussed. But yes. I think he will he will be an addition that's likely, and Nadefo as a maybe, and that could be two really big helps to to the Pirates lineup in the coming season. Seton Hall fans have been uh, griping a little bit on on social media and uh, whereabouts, so so I think that would make them very happy. Uh, you know, you tend to get a little bit antsy when five players go to go to Providence and you're not getting one. Uh, pretty amazing job. What? What's going on with Providence? I know they're not in our tri-state, Jerry, but we have to mention that Ed Cooley sure. is has uh, is winning the portal transfer wars in one month. Yeah, Providence. I mean, they had a great season, and also Ed Cooley and his staff have been there. You know, Shaheen just showed up a couple of weeks ago, so like he's got to play catch up. And Seton Hall doesn't have a full staff yet; even they 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 haven't even hired a lead assistant. They haven't filled out the three assistants. So I wouldn't compare Seton Hall and Providence. I know the instinct is to do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Cooley's great. He's a great guy. He's a great coach, and he's coming off a great year, and he's been there. Stability, you know, so that's – they're cashing in on that. Seton Hall's time will come, I think. He's got to be a little more patient because everyone's really just getting settled. I, I agree with you 100%. I think Shaheen will get the guys, and, and I think people will be happy uh, with the guys that he gets on his staff and in the portal. So Rutgers is happy, certainly with Cam Spencer – I mean, that's a really solid shooting guard that they got from Loyola of Maryland. They needed a guy who could score at that position after losing Geo Baker. Spencer is an accomplished scorer. He's a really good athlete. Uh, you know, his, his brother was the lacrosse national player of the year. And get this, Dino, the brother wins lacrosse national player of the year, graduates, mm -hmm. and then goes and does a grad year as a basketball player at Northwestern. Averages 10 and five. And so there's good bloodlines there. The question about Spencer is it's a big leap up from the Patriot League. So obviously, you know, he's he's going to have an adjustment. Um, he probably won't shoot at the same percentages, but if he's even close, it'll be a good addition for, for Rutgers. And yeah, they, they you know, they had Steve Peichel is not going to add three guys from the portal, Kevin Willard style, Ed Cooley style. He's not going to do that. They targeted one guy and that's that's the one they got. So I don't think they're going to add anybody else. Interesting. So the one guy that they would love to return is Caleb McConnell. If he returns now, you know, you're talking uh, solidifying leadership and, you know, the glue and one of the best defensive players in the country. He's probably coming back. Uh, all, all signs point toward him coming back. Caleb was not, he was not invited to the uh, Portsmouth Invitational. And as you know, Portsmouth is like that's like the B, the you know the B, the B combine. Like it's like a secondary 
combine for non non projected draft picks, people who aren't projected to be draft picks. So if you don't get invited to that, it's like a really a red flag that you should go back to school. Now, Caleb is a fantastic college player. Awesome. Great guy. Great teammate. Elite defender. But like offensively, I think his game just isn't where, you know, the, the NBA scouts want it to be. So, yeah, it's likely that he returns. And, you know, you have him. You have uh, Paul Mulcahy. You have Cliff Omarui. That's a good Omori and, and some role players. It's a pretty good nucleus. So Rutgers should be pretty good again. I agree. Caleb returns and the addition of Cam Spencer and Rutgers is, is in pretty good shape. They might so that, add another big guy. You know, I think maybe Pikes has added a lot of – he's added people in the summer in the past. But I just don't see them making any other major additions. I think what you see right now is more or less what you're going to get. I don't think it's – I don't think it's out of the question that Ron Harper returns, Dino, but, but he's probably going to go pro. I mean, he shot 40% from three last year. You know, his stock might never be higher. Um, you know, the, the older you get, the less – interested pro teams are so like he's going to get invited to the combine in a couple weeks and if he does well enough there he could be drafted or get a two-way contract but he hasn't you know harper still has his eligibility uh but i if i had to bet against it i would say he probably won't be back but you know whereas i said i thought maybe 100 percent he won't be back i would put that at maybe like 95 percent now i would leave the crack the door a sliver open but not expect it Hey, there, there are guys all over the country who are coming back, including, you know, a guy like Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, right? So stranger things have happened. Yes, um, no question, no question. I, I did, that, that's excellent. That's an excellent point by you. I did not know that he could come back. And I, I just thought it was a foregone conclusion. He's, you know, wins the Haggerty Award. What a week it's been for him. So I, I thought it was a foregone conclusion, but interesting. Yeah, so I like I said, he hasn't disqualified himself by hiring an Asian or, you know, a non-approved agent or doing anything that would disqualify him. So the door remains open. I think a lot's going to hinge on his combine performance. You know, if he plays well enough there, uh, someone tells him we're going to draft you or we're going to sign you to a two-way contract. He's got to really take it if he wants to be an NBA player. Uh, if he doesn't play well there, it doesn't draw much interest off of there. Maybe he does come back. I, like I said, I wouldn't totally rule it out. So just keep, keep that in your back pocket. Okay. All right. Back pocket it is. Uh, a couple of more points, Jerry. We, we opened by talking about all the coaching moves and the big news this week was Greg Horenda being let go uh, unceremoniously by Fairleigh Dickinson. Jerry, you wrote an outstanding, insightful article in the Asbury Park Press and for Gannett about, I want to call it just, it's almost like a, a comedy show in their athletic department, Jerry, you know, cutting corners. And I get it. I get the fact that there are a lot of programs out there, Seton Hall included, right? You have to be clever with how your money is spent and you don't have large budgets as we saw when St. Peter's went up against Kentucky and the vast difference in budgets there. But Jerry, when you have a student, a student, a college student in a position of communication director for men's basketball, what on earth is going on? And I, I hate it, but it pained me, Dino, to single that out because the kid works his butt off. Yes. And I think he's got a bright future. I really do. Like, he's light years away. I think he's a sophomore or a junior. He's an underclassman. He's light years away of where you and I were at that age. So, like, I want to give him a lot of credit, but, I mean, I just don't – you know, that's someone that you you put – you know, you put him on, on bowling or something. 
you know, if you want to give him a professional foot yeah, in the door, let him, but let him sh- I'm sorry, Jared, I got to cut you off. Let him, let him shadow, let him, let him cut his teeth. Well, put him on bowling, put, put him articles, on, put him on, and- put him on swimming, put him on bowling, but not men's basketball. Men's basketball is you is FDU's highest profile sport. You know, they don't have football, so that this is their sport, and and I don't, I just there's a lack of commitment to men's basketball. Now, does that? translate into a lack of commitment to division one athletics that's the big question that people have been asking me over the last couple of days as this job is open and this talk about who would really want to go there uh and that's the question i want to ask them i was very disappointed that i could not get an interview with the athletic director uh so i mean that was really a shame to me and i i even made it clear like i want to uh, you don't want to talk about greg horrendous firing fine but you know it's a personal matter whatever Okay, but let's talk about this, 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 the direction your department is headed in and people's concerns about it. So, you know, they've, what they will tell you is they've added sports, which they have, which is unusual in 2022. They have added sports, but, you know, when, the, when you really look at it and read into it, they've added sports so they can add to their enrollment. I mean, that's it. These, you know, the men's, men's volleyball is a 15-person a roster with four scholarships. So you're adding 11 tuition-paying students. Women's lacrosse is a, you know, a 25 or 30 person roster with 12 scholarships. So you're adding 13 to 18 tuition paying students. So you're adding, you're adding 20, uh, you know, to 25 tuition paying students. So that's really what you're doing there. Uh, So it is a kind of a cost savings measure in a way by adding sports. And meanwhile, you're cutting men's basketball to two assistants, two paid assistants. You have a grad assistant in the third job, which is out of step with the rest of the Northeast Conference, plus the aforementioned communications director who's an undergraduate at the college. It's just, it, it all screams like we are de-emphasizing athletics. And so that is gonna, I think, diminish. Look, they're gonna have interest in the job. It's a division one head coaching job, but they're not gonna be able to get you know, there's going to be a certain type of coach who's going to be out of reach for them because you don't know which direction this thing's going to go in. It's a fascinating article, Jerry. I, I, I read it and my jaw hit the table. Just, you know, wondering how these schools can make it at the D1 level and expect to compete. And, you know, like the article said, yeah, bowling, you know, is women's bowling is doing great. And, and uh, what was it? Women's basketball one, you know, finish in first place and so on and so forth. But those are programs that are not high profile. And like you said, those are students who are paying their own way. So to have a situation like this, what head coach would want to go in there? Someone will take it, but not not a sitting head coach. Like no sitting head coach is taking that job. So it's going who, to be, are, who are the leading candidates? Well, it's going to be an assistant. So it's going to be an assistant coach. And uh, like that, you know, it's going to be someone who wants to do what Sheehan Holloway did four years ago and bet on himself. And so St. Peter's now as as under-resourced as as it has been, it's probably is in better, well, now is in much better shape, but was in better shape than FDU is, but someone's going to bet on themselves because there's an opportunity like in the, you know, and you can, you can make a case as more opportunity at FDU than there is at St. Peter's because you don't have a Rick Pitino dominating the league at FDU. I mean, you know, Wagner has a new coach. They've had a lot of success, and we love Donald Copeland, but he's a new coach. He's a new head coach, and uh, uh, Bryant is leaving. You know, they were the defending champs. And uh, so maybe there's an opportunity to move up. But, I, I you know, I mentioned, I mentioned uh, Brett McConnell's name 
today because I think very highly of Brett and he's done a fantastic job at Princeton. He, he's a Jersey guy. FDU needs a Jersey guy. Like you yeah. cannot bring in someone from Colorado or Maine or Arizona to coach FDU. They need a Jersey guy. Brett McConnell is a Jersey guy, Rutgers grad, former manager there. Uh, and then, you know, Princeton, he's been there now almost a decade or a, exactly a decade. And he's recruited Jersey guys to that school, which they hadn't done in the past. And also the AD there has Northwestern roots. And so, you know, and so does uh, Mitch Henderson. You know, Mitch Henderson was an assistant there for a long time. So there are some, it does make a lot of sense. I think Brett's ready uh, to run his own shop. He did even, even coached a couple games this year when Mitch had COVID, he went one and one and he did a good job. So he's a name. I think Grant Billmeyer will be a tremendous fit uh, at FDU. He coached there for a year. He's a, another guy who's Jersey. He's known, he's respected here. People would want to help him as they would Brett. I just don't know that Grant's going to leave Maryland a month after getting there. And also, you know, taking what probably would be a pay cut uh, because he's probably, I'm sure he's doing well there. So I think he'd be a great fit. I don't know that he would take that job at this moment, but I would certainly make the call if I was FDU. And it just feels like you cannot, you have to have a Jersey guy. I mentioned Bruce Hamburger, who was a former assistant there, who's at Columbia now, uh, who knows the lay of the land here. He knows every nook and cranny of the state. Uh, and, and Zach Bosvert, who is in the, in the state now, but was an assistant coach at FDU and then Army for a while. So he knows the area. So th these are names I mentioned today. Uh, there's been, you know, someone had mentioned Carl Hobbs, the Rutgers assistant, because I think the AD at, at the FDU has some roots to George Washington, where Hobbs was for a long time with Steve Peichel, where Hobbs was really successful. I just feel like it's, it's a real heavy lift for a guy that late in his career, like it makes, a, and it would be, he'd have to take a big pay cut too. Uh, it makes more sense to go with a younger guy who is not going to worry so much about the money and just, you know, embrace the try to be creative around the shortcomings or the, the um, you know, the challenges that they have. So McConnell would be the top of my list and Bill Maher certainly got a call. I don't think he would take it. And I don't Brandon, think Brandon Knight, like Brandon Knight's name is coming up everywhere, but if Brandon Knight didn't take St. Peter's, he ain't taking FDU. No chance. I mean, I think he might've taken Fordham. Fordham's paying a lot more money. It's in a higher profile league. He, I, that, I think it, it would be a waste of a call. I think Brandon Knight's going to be great at coach but I just can't see him even looking at FDU. You're right, Jerry. Uh, bringing this conversation full circle and bringing it to a close, these coaches make a lot of money at big-time programs, Power 5 schools, like as an assistant coach, right? So why would they then take a you know $100,000 pay cut just to become a head coach? It takes a young, up-and-coming, uh, hungry coach who doesn't sleep, who can deal with the rosters overturning, right? Because at a place like FDU, even if you have a player who's first team all NEC, he's gone. You have him for one year. So you yeah, better, you gotta, you gotta, you it's better hard. get ready for that roster turnover, as it's well hard. as the hardships that come with a job like this that, you know, is not going to pay you three, $400,000. And you got to build loyalty. Like there has to be only chance to have any kind of retention is to build loyalty and strong bonds. Um, with some of these players and like, that's going to take a younger coach. It's going to be hard for an older coach to do that at that level. Well, Jerry, uh, you do a tremendous job, man. I, I can talk college hoops with you as we do. 
uh, on and off the podcast, as we always do, Jerry. Uh, I hope you have some vacation this summer with your beautiful family, and I hope you can get away and put the phone down and not have to worry about what is happening out there every second of the day on Twitter. Yeah, I, I will take – eventually it'll happen, Dino. Right now we're just knee-deep in it. But, yeah, there's going to come a time where I'm going to be on a beach and I'm going to shut it off, and then I'll be recharged and ready to go in September, baby. I'll be there. And, listen, that's my favorite time of year, man, the run-up to the season, seeing how the pieces fit. We just got to get the pieces there. So until <laughs> then, I'll be standing on my head. No sleep till Brooklyn. I'll get you a towel and uh, some water to go <laughs> with it, Jerry. All right, Thanks, great brother. stuff. I'll see you. Talk to you soon. There he is, Jerry Carino. You can catch him on Twitter. Follow him on NJ Hoops Haven. Of course, you can read his articles on app.com. Catch him on his podcast as well. When that resumes, they do a great job with that podcast, Jersey Jump Shot. Uh, Jerry is everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, and he still finds time to be with his wife and, and two beautiful children. So uh, good for him. We always love talking to Jerry on and off the podcast, as I said. So it's been a whirlwind week. I expect news and dominoes to start falling through the portal with Seton Hall. Could Alamir Dawes be coming? Could uh, Casey Nadefo be coming? Those were the two prominent names that Jerry and I talked about, and I would not be surprised to see one or both in pirate blue in the near future. And I think Seton Hall fans would sign up for that immediately. And how about Jerry talking about Ron Harper Jr.? Caleb McConnell, I felt like he would come back all along, but Rutgers fans, imagine if you have Ron Harper Jr. for one more year. I mean, if Harper returns and McConnell, book them now for preseason top six, top five. I mean, why couldn't they finish in the top four again in the Big Ten? With a nucleus like that, with Harper, McConnell, Mulcahy, and Amori, man, that is a strong nucleus in a power conference, even like the Big Ten. But listen, he gave it a 5% chance that Harper returns. Uh, that would be something. Don't count on that, but do count on Caleb McConnell returning. And do count on us here at the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast having more news for you as it happens in the offseason. If there's news to talk about in the tri-state in college basketball, we will have it here with interviews and information on the tri-state college basketball podcast. As always, if you like what you hear, give us a follow and tell your friends about it. Share the news of the tri-state college basketball podcast on social media and on platforms like Apple and Spotify. My name's Brian Dinavellis. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.